Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 391. My name is Adam Patterson. With me today, we got Kevin Rachel. Hey, Kevin. Hi. Coming in with a good mic. We're splurging. Right. Splurging Watch this week. Out. <laughs> uh, uh, joining us on this last episode of the year is my co-host on the Saved by the 90s podcast, Mr. Ken Bakley. Hey, Ken. Hello. How are you? Oh, you know. It's <laughs> good no. as can be expected. You, you, you know, in... Um, I was listening back to a little bit of last year's episode when we talked about a top 10 list from 2019, and I could not, at first I could not get over the number of jokes that we made about how difficult 2019 was, but I think the thing that really got me is, Kevin, just your very straightforward and ultimately entirely correct prediction that 2020 was going to be worse. (laughs) Well, when that's your standpoint... Every yeah. year moving forward, you're bound yeah. to be right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, the the episode is less feels less like a retrospective and more just like prescience, <laughs> just very prescient. Yeah, I actually <laughs> did the same. I listened to a little bit of the of last year's, and I thought that was funny as well. How we just <laughs> we're we're lamenting about how bad 2019 was, and it's like we had no idea at the time. No, <laughs> like we knew we we all knew that 2020 was going to be rough. But man, what I'm what I'm really excited for, and I haven't done this yet, is you know we do our most anticipated movies of the next year, and I can't wait to go back and and review our most anticipated 2020 movies because I don't think any of them yeah. came out on the on the on the list on the on the podcast list. I you know that's right after one. I almost wanted to go back and listen to you guys talk about that, but I almost couldn't. Like that was too that would be too wrenching. Yeah. That'll be that'll be the next episode. So is that even going to be possible for you know the next year? Like, are we going to be able to do an anticipated? I think so. I think it'll be fun. I think it'll be fun to try. I think Give it a shot. Yeah, I think it'll I be just, fun to I try. Just truly, could not imagine in December 2020 listening again to your most anticipated, which seemed just like a perfectly fine thing to listen to back in mm-hmm. January when we were all. So, so different, <laughs> different times. Uh, so this this week we're going to be doing our top ten movies of the year, which was a no small task in a year that could only be described as wrought with contention and controversy and tragedy. But we're going to try to do the best we can with uh, what we had. There's some good stuff, some good things that came out this year. So I'm sure that. Our lists will be varied and interesting, to say the least. Hopefully, yes. Yeah. Uh, before we get into it, I I always want to sort of throw out the caveat that it's it, that we obviously didn't see everything that came out this year. I'm sure there's going to be some omissions on our lists, and if we had a chance to see everything, maybe these lists would be you know different mm-hmm. uh do you guys know how many movies you saw this year like 2020 movies just to give everyone a kind of an idea of the the breadth of things that we saw like as far as just a number i apparently watched 101 101 i was at 132 this year i don't exactly know but it's not that high i'm like i have i like I'm at that point where I have so much stuff to catch up on that like I've somehow hit like so much that I just hit a hit a roadblock and I'm like I 
I, I don't even know where to start. So, you know, normally most years I'll say, I'll say this, but this year especially, the list I'm putting out into the world in late December does probably not look a whole lot like the list I'll have in three months. Uh, but uh, I don't have an exact number, but it's less than a hundred. Well, let me ask you this, Ken. Uh, do you continue your list after the year, or do you just like lock it in? So, like, if you see if you see something later on, like next year that that's from twenty twenty, do you then change your list? I do, I do. It's just um, I don't think I've made. Uh, I do, I do, I do. So. I think I now I've just pulled up my old 2019 list. I don't think it looks terribly different. I think there's maybe one or two different movies uh, or things that have been moved around. But if I go back to like a couple of like 2017 or 2018, like I think like the number ones and twos and threes are different now. Interesting. Yeah, I can't. I don't do that. Like once mine's once I'm locked in, that's it. Like I can't even imagine yeah. my brain no, would like, melt if I attempted to go back and do that. <laughs> Yeah, 2018 movies are dead to me. They don't even exist anymore. <laughs> I don't even know what came out in 2018. I don't, I don't even remember, remember 2018. Was that a year? Uh, yeah. Yeah, this this was a really tough year for me as far as compiling my list. I mean, usually in any given year, there's like one or two that are clear top spots for me. And this year was not the case. I was shuffling things around all the way up until like right when we started recording this and still like not a particularly strong year for me. Although there are some notable ones. Yeah. With that, I think we can just jump right into it. Ken, as our guest, let's have you kick it off. What was your number 10 movie of the year? My number 10 is Sean Durkin's the nest. If you ever, you know, it seems like, we always get some movies every year that could be sort of glibly described as rich people yelling at each other in a big house, but this is a very good conception of that because it is more than just these opportunities for characters to have the relationships with each other fall apart because it is very much about the idea that we're seeing so much of problems that came before now emerging not just appearing but emerging after a long dormant period it's not about things necessarily falling apart it's things that have fallen apart now revealing themselves uh in a new setting and quite fittingly the setting is a aging centuries old country estate in england just adding to the general like gloomy feeling of it and it's set during thatcher's uh britain which adds a whole lot of subtext the main character is a stock trader Kevin, what's your number 10? Uh, my number 10 is the 20th Century, the debut from Matthew Rankin, ah, Canadian film. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's a ridiculous reimagining of the life of uh, former Canadian Prime Minister William Lyon Mackenzie King. This movie is incredible. Uh, an incredible mix of DIY, uh, German expressionism, melodramatic films of the early days. Uh, the production design, the art design, all phenomenal, just utterly captivating in its creativity. And I love the fact that it's just a complete rewriting, just completely made up. Um, it's over the top. It's absurd. It's disgusting in a lot of ways because they write in that the prime minister has this fetish for like disgusting boots and he jerks mm-hmm. off to him. Mm-hmm. And once he, he goes over this threshold of jerking off too much, this cactus in his room 
explodes and orgasms as well. And then he just has to live with the shame of masturbating to boots. <laughs> yeah, I, I also saw this with End. I didn't love it quite as much as you did, but I am so fascinated and just, I think the main thing here is just a world in which we can see this movie, in which this movie just is there, I yeah. think. I, and I just love this idea, and I wish we did this more, where we just we just made up history. Mm-hmm. And just and just you know made up completely different personal histories for world leaders mm-hmm. and made them ridiculous. My number ten is Host, directed by Rob Savage. This is the low budget found footage horror movie that was shot during the pandemic and uh, all done via Zoom and. I I was really waffling over where this was going to land on my list, um, and ultimately, it I found that it was worthy of a top ten spot because it's really clever how they shot it. You know, this is a one of these like screen life style movies where it's all done through a, a computer, and it's actually quite effective. Uh, it's one of the few movies that I think use the the pandemic and the isolation and those feelings to to great effect and it's a movie that had a really quick turnaround it's short it's only 56 minutes long which i think in in this case is actually works in its favor um, because it gets in it establishes the characters they spend time you know with with these characters to establish them and then the horror ensues and it's a really good story it's quite scary actually there's some really good effects work here which is a, quite a surprise considering how quickly they turned this movie around and how it was essentially everyone from their homes, you know, shooting this movie. So yeah, I, I found it to be really impressive and uh, really, really solid. So it, this is on shutter. So you can check it out there. Host some, some great, great practical effects in it too. Yeah. Did you see this Ken? I did. Yeah. So it was pretty I, good. I, I like the effects work a lot. I, I was impressed. I didn't think there would be any, actually. I thought it was going to be like just really, really low, like lo-fi. But there's there's some action in this, and it's quite impressive. Uh, all right, Cam, what's your number nine? My number nine is Spike Lee's To Five Bloods. Good movie. A lot going on. Great performances. Spike Lee, he's good at making movies. He does have an act for it. Yeah. He's, ma- he's made a few. You should see them. <laughs> He's and not only is he has he made a lot of movies. He made two this year. Yep, or it came out this year. Uh, yeah, this was on my top ten, my mid year top ten, I th- I think. Um, but it just missed the final the final list. This is like number seventeen on my current list. But okay, well worth a look. This is on Netflix. Kevin, it's your number nine. Hey, I have a Netflix movie too. That's Residue. Oh yeah, another debut, and uh, this is another one that we saw. You know, back in was it this year or last year for Slam Dance? Who I knows? Can't remember. Who knows? It was this <laughs> year. It was this year actually. It was in January. Okay, okay. So this is a debut from Jerima, and I gotta say, just from this movie, it's extremely excited for what he puts out next, like the, his career as a whole, because it's just really exciting uh, filmmaking. Uh, in a lot of different ways, 
there's a lot of um, really emotionally impactful transitions. So the editing is top notch. I know this is one thing when we talked about this back in Slam Dance, but it's the small things. Like there's a, a sequence towards the end where the main character goes to visit a friend in prison. And the way that Jarima decides to, to shoot this and present this prison visit just completely changes everything. I just absolutely, uh, it was incredible. One of the most memorable scenes in a movie for me this year, certainly. Yeah, to me, I think it might be the scene of the year. And that's the thing. You take such a small thing, which is just one guy going to visit another guy in prison and just completely change it and present it in a way in which that you really seen before that just really, you know, changes it. Yeah, really solid. This was another one that was on my top 10 mid-year, but got pushed pushed off gradually, but absolutely worth seeing. This is part of uh, Ava DuVernay's Array label, and you can see it on Netflix. Mm -hmm. Uh, My number nine is Baccarat. This is directed by uh, Clabar Mendoza Philho and Yolanio Dronellis. Oh, God. I'm sorry. I'm just just sorry (laughs) for that. Uh, this is a really great, bizarre Brazilian film that uh, is extremely satirical and violent and funny and filled with great action and interesting characters. And uh, yeah, definitely recommend I, I love, I love and I found it extremely humorous to me that obama really liked this movie yeah (laughs) i thought that was great that this was on his list the movie that's about a remote village fighting back against foreign capitalists and the local powers that sold them out and obama's like yeah really like this movie (laughs) it's just funny to me definitely uh recommend some baccarat ken what's your Mm -hmm. number eight my number eight is andrew on's driveways Oh, okay. This is on, I believe... No, I thought it was streaming somewhere, but you can rent it from everywhere. Uh, it's a very thoughtful movie. It does a lot with with a relatively economical way, and it's got a really great cast, particularly a wonderful supporting turn from Brian Denny, and I think was one of his uh, last performances. All right. Driveways. Yeah, I'll have to keep a, it's good. Keep, keep a lookout for this. It's on all the... I think it's on all the major platforms right now kevin what's your number eight my number eight is back nice so there you go me you and obama <laughs> i haven't seen back yet nice. i have like the screener i just haven't gotten around dude, to it you, yet you got i know i need to join adam and obama love it dude i need to join that. you guys and obama here i love the idea of ken watching it knowing the fact that obama <laughs> likes it. Especially when you get to Lunga, when Lunga gets unleashed. Oh, yeah. You're like, yeah, I'm almost into this. <laughs> I have heard people talking about this, particularly in the context of Obama putting it on his uh, list, and people seem to note it with some degree of irony. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You'll, you'll, it, it'll become clear. <laughs> is, this, is this movie not, not, not uh, uncritically supportive of the uh, American empire? <laughs> and, and, <laughs> let's just say that, uh, you know, capitalists, they get their comeuppance. 
in a very uh, strong way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that one person is even like, did we go too far? And everyone's like, no, no. we did not. <laughs> <laughs> um, my number eight is a movie that we just talked about a few weeks ago on the podcast, and that's uh, Jolly Katu from uh, Lee, oh, yeah. Lee Jose Pulisari. Uh, this is yes. the the movie about the buffalo that escapes in a small village and the chaos, the absolute chaos that ensues while they're trying mm-hmm. to capture and kill this rampaging buffalo. Man, uh, I was blown away with the production of this movie and it's just... It's just at times jaw dropping. So I highly recommend checking this out. It's on Amazon prime. So you can watch it if you have a prime membership. Ken, what's your number seven? My number seven is Nomadland. This is from Chloe Zhao, uh, who made the writer, which was her last f- film. And I really like that one too. Uh, this is a really, I think engaging and thoughtful movie that, uh, that much like the writer blends fictional narrative structuring with uh real life basis and non-actors uh playing roles in it but it also has a really wonderful uh lead performance from francis mcdormand i am not a fan of what the uh certain pictures are doing with the distribution of this movie which is that they ran it on like the virtual cinemas for a week and then took it away and then will not release it for to the public until february of 2021 like they've somehow found a way to still do like the weird like end of year platform release that studios do with the oscars in normal years and they somehow found a way to do it again even in a year where most theaters are not open but aside from that nomadland it's good i yeah i was this is the one that i'm like most bummed about not being able to to squeeze in because i have a feeling that this would have potential to hit my top 10 and I unfortunately didn't get a chance to see it. There's been a few other movies that have done this same thing where they're like releasing doing a very short virtual theatrical run and then putting it out in theaters in 2021. Um, Gunda is another one that I know that I know of off the top of my head that the neon documentary they Mm -hmm. they were really weird about it like because we we got a screener for it and they well here's here's the weird thing so like they were doing a virtual theatrical release i requested a screener this was before like the year end the for your consideration stuff came out so i requested a screener and they were like oh well we'll send we're sending out screeners when it's getting ready for its theatrical run which isn't until next year but then later they sent me one anyway for the for your consideration so we can't review it but it's it's so weird. Yeah. I don't we, like that. What I think that, like, the qualifying thing is, is my suspicion is that that's, like, so because uh, the Oscars qualification window runs through the end of February, for whatever reason, and the most critics groups are staying, you know, doing the January 1st to December 31st, I think what that is, is they're trying to make it eligible for critics awards while still trying to, you know do the thing that they always do by releasing it as close to the end of Oscar eligibility as possible, which just the degree to which that seems completely ludicrous when they have to play that against two different calendars is just so much more obvious. Yeah. It's, it's, it's silly. I think that they just, 
nobody really knows how any of yeah. this it should work. I mean, it's it's all new territory for mm-hmm. these people. They're just, they're just seeing what sticks. I think it's all you know. It's all up in the air at this point. Kevin, what's your number seven? Number seven is never, rarely, sometimes, always. Mm. Another humble gut punch. Yeah, and uh, it's really affecting drama, which she seems to be perfecting with each subsequent film that she makes. Just seems to like be perfecting that that tone, that authenticity with the with the gut punch. You know, just the turning you into an emotional wreck, but in a very subdued way. And uh, she really knocked it out of the park with this one, I think. Yeah, I, I really love that that movie. I think it's easily one of the best of the year. Uh, my number seven is Possessor, which is a pretty stark departure from the movie that you just mentioned. You mean Possessor Uncut. Possessor Uncut. <laughs> to be clear, yes, the uncut version. I did not see regular Possessor. I only saw Possessor what does, Uncut. What does regu- How long is regular Possessor? I, I think there's only a few things that were censored of the other one and i'm still not quite sure what still, what the whole th- th- that whole thing is about i now i'm realizing it's just regular possessors probably just has the the r rating for some reason i thought like there was possessor uncut and like for some reason regular possessor they tried to cut down to a pg-13 or something <laughs> in my mind no that's for some reason that's why i was like how much did they cut out of it how long is that I, I, it's a weird, it's kind of a baffling thing that I never quite got a straight answer on as to mm-hmm. what was going on with the possessor versus possessor uncut stuff. But anyway, uh, very shocking, visually striking sci-fi movie from Brandon Cronenberg. I really like, uh, what this, what this director is doing. Uh, I loved antiviral and this one, I think one ups that one. So I'm really excited to see what he has in store for us next, what fresh horrors he has in store for us next. So I was really taken with Possessor. I noticed that my list this year is not so much movies that I think were personally like maybe the the best movies of the year, but just movies that that kind of struck a chord with me one way or another. And I've noticed that like there's several movies on this list that I don't think in normal years would be on this list, but just due to my state of mind and like just the state of everything ended up on the list. Mm-hmm. There's, I mean, there's no rule for creating a list, you know? Exactly. Just have fun with it, you know? Just just have fun yeah, with it. Threw it out there. People, get, people got are getting so upset, like about, and we'll get to this because I'll have to bring it up a couple times in my top five. But like, for yes. you know, what counts as a movie? Like, uh, like what can you can put in the list? What you can vote for? It's come on. Look at this year. Are we really going to have a big argument about what you can <laughs> yeah. put on a top 10 movies list? <laughs> Is that how we're going to spend the waning days of 2020? Exactly. Oh, Ken, what's your number six? Uh, my number six is uh, Danielle Crudy and Bridget Savage Cole's Blow the Man Down. This ah, is a love this movie. Oh, nice. Smaller <laughs> movie from the start of the year. But yeah, it's really good. Uh, it's great movie for people who like movies set in small extremely characteristic settings with lots of character actors filling out the cast and uh crime story at the front of it here you go yeah, Ex- the man down. extremely it's, it's streaming on prime extremely underrated i think 
Nobody was talking about this movie. There's a great cast there. We're talking about it. Yeah. Now. Kevin, number six, hit me. I got you. The the thriller of the year, and that's First Cow. Oh. About stealth cow milking. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which is, I think it's the thing that, I know we talked about this when we talked about this movie, but it's extremely low stakes. I don't know if you can get any lower than what this movie is, but I mean, somehow she made it extremely tense, at least for me. Just the fact that, like, are these guys going to get found out? I just want them to keep milking that cow, but it's going to come to an end at some point. And it's just, it feels, thinking about it, it's like, wow, why did I get so invested in that? But I did. I really, truly did. Yeah, and I just love the overall vibe of the movie. Ferns, the sound of rain on ferns, more giant ferns, lush greens. It's just a couple of fellas frying up some treats for the fellow fellas. I mean, <laughs> come on. What more do you want? Yeah, I, I really love this movie, too. It's wonderful. It's just it's such a nice it's just it's a, the type of movie that you just let wash over you, you know? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I can say sort of the same thing about my number six, which is David Byrne's American Utopia. This is the other Spike Lee directed movie that we mentioned earlier. Uh, This is Spike Lee directing the adaptation of the Broadway show. And uh, I think that this is one of these movies that just hit. And I'm going to say this about a couple of the other movies on my list. It's just it hit at just the right time for me. And I just loved it so much i've watched it multiple times since it first came out and it's just uh it's exactly what i need in these trying times so i highly recommend american utopia it's on hbo max yeah i wanted to see it but i don't have hbo max Ugh, ken they didn't they didn't send they didn't send it they didn't send any screeners there's probably like a so. trial or something you could I know, Sign I'm going to have to, since apparently HBO Max uh, starting next year will be the only streaming service that matters because uh, all, movies. The, all movies, all because the entire studio is just going to dump all of their movies onto it. Isn't that crazy? We never really talked about yeah. that on the podcast at all, but it's just it's, such a crazy thing. Deranged, honestly. <laughs> you got to wonder, like, are they like, is it because they're not confident with their own movies or is it because they're not confident with, you know, the, the state of how the pandemic's going to be like, what, like, are there I ulterior think, motives just, here? I think they were just largely unconfident about the state of HBO max. Yeah, maybe <laughs> they were like, we, we need to, they, they were like, they want to keep HBO max strong because they figure there's so much in it there's so much writing on it and then they really kind of i think uh over adjusted well yeah i mean i remember when they first announced hbo max and i I feel like the the messaging the marketing behind hbo max was just not good because for me someone who keeps up with the the latest like streaming services and stuff i was just like why does it why do we need that like why is it necessary we have hbo we have hbo now we have hbo go like, what is this HBO Max? Why are they coming out with another one? And at the time, I didn't realize that it was going to be replacing all of those other ones. And at the end of the day, when you look at the lineup on HBO Max, it's really robust. Like, they have a lot of really great stuff on there. So, 
it's a good platform. I just I think the messaging was a little bit muddled at the beginning. And yeah. now that they have all the Warner Brothers stuff coming out on there, it's just it's crazy. Just crazy. Ken, what's your number five? Uh, speaking of film productions of of uh, Broadway shows, my number five is What the Constitution Means to Me. This was a film production of Heidi Schreck's uh, play, which she writes and stars in. It is a personal account of how when she was a, a teenager, she helped pay for her college through the speaking competitions, which she would have to give these speeches on what the Constitution, the U.S. Constitution, meant to her. And she kind of takes that title uh, and thinks about like not only her own life, but the history of the women in her family and and after a point just becomes a very broad look at the u.s constitution the promise that's in the idea of the document and how it is just denied so much to so many people and then actually ends with at the end of every show she would bring out a high school debater they would have to take sides and they would have to debate on whether the u.s constitution can be fixed to amend those problems or whether it is beyond fixing and then the audience got to vote on it. So it's a really interesting show that kind of not only in a quite a literal way forces the audience to interact, but just even as a film production on Prime, I think, is really, really involving and just well done. And I guess on some level, it also raises the question, if you're putting a film production of a work on your top 10 movies list, are you talking about the production? Are you talking about the filming? I think I'm quite unambiguously talking about the production the movies the actual filming of it is good but uh yeah what the constitution means to me and you said that's on prime right you can check it out i believe so yes okay uh kevin what's your number five my number five is girls always happy this is on a like a somewhat little known streaming service and that's ovid tv it's where you can see this chinese film by yang ming ming Uh, This is a movie that I essentially wrote a review for back in like 2018 when it, when it played like, I think it played like two festivals, if that, Uh, but I was, I was really struck by it and it stuck with me. Um, And I just think it's absolutely phenomenal. It's a mother daughter relationship that is for the most part steeped in mutual dislike and disgust. They don't like each other, but they're essentially forced to live with each other in this like small kind of like shanty town in Beijing. And like over the course of the film, they've kind of like they somewhat grow closer to each other, given their respective circumstances and like the indignities that they have to do- endure. Um, but to me, it was just a really exciting piece of filmmaking that did a really fantastic job of weaving between like lighthearted carefree kind of comedy and like emotional heartbreak in these like really quiet transitions it would just it would flip-flop between the two without you really noticing so definitely check that one out check it out on ovid ovid tv ovid i i get emails from them a lot and i'm just like i i every time i get an email from them i'm like what's ovid and i'm like oh yeah that's right ovid yeah it's 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 a bit much like there's 730 streaming services it feels like mm-hmm. yeah and i only i only have room like i only have room for like seven i'm sorry like i that's it that's all my brain can handle 
it's it's a lot it is definitely a lot uh, my number five is the wolf of snow hollow directed by jim cummings this is his follow-up to a movie that landed on my top 10 a couple of years ago thunder road and this is uh it's a bit of a genre mashup it's kind of a comedy horror mystery thriller and uh it's about a it's about a small town where there's a supposed werewolf on the loose and a uh, comically inept sheriff's deputy who is determined to catch this supposed werewolf. And I loved it. I, I think that the Jim Cummings is a unique voice in filmmaking right now. And I think that he has a very, very bright future in everything that he's going to be working on. I love, I love his writing. I love his dialogue style. And uh, the, the, the humor is just right up my alley as well. So highly recommend The Wolf of Snow Hollow. Uh, Ken, what's your number four? Uh, my number four is perhaps similarly titled uh, Wolf Walkers. Oh, okay. Uh, this oh. is currently on Apple TV+. Plus. It's from, uh, directed by Tom Moore and Ross Stewart from Cartoon Saloon, which is the uh, claimed Irish animation studio. It's just a... Uh, it's a visually beautiful uh thematically and narratively complex film that is just so um assured and it and just well thought out in taking its time and building its world and its ideas and i um i'm always feel kind of wary when i uh any last minute things that i put on my top 10 because i always wonder if i'm am i feeling more like i'm you know is there like a a recency bias to it all or something but uh because I watched Wolfwalkers yesterday, but you know, I was just thinking about it. It's like, no, it's really, really good. It's Wolfwalkers. Yeah, I did not. And is this, Adam, you said that Apple TV was free to everyone well, like right now? It, I think it or still what? is. It, I believe that the free thing ends January 1st, I want okay. to say, something like, right. something like I gotta, that. I got to jump in there because I did not know Wolfwalkers was on there. And I want to see it so bad. But Ted Lasso is too. So yeah, so I gotta. I'm gonna jump in there. You you were recently sending me like a very long string of messages (laughs) telling me to watch Ted Lasso. Trying to convince everybody to watch (laughs) Ted Lasso. I would describe it as a threat. (laughs) Ted Lasso threatening me to watch this show about people being nice. Yeah, that's what it is. Is how you sold it to me. (laughs) Then you threaten me into watching it. But I will. I'll definitely try. But I only have, gosh, four days now. Yeah. Better, better cram it in. Uh, mm-hmm. It's pretty short. The it's like half hour episodes, and I think there's only like ten of them or something. So anyway, voice. Uh, Kevin, what's your number four? Oh, it's a movie that's already been mentioned, but it, mine it shows up a little bit higher, and that's Jellicato. This is just an exhilarating piece of filmmaking for me. I was just I was blown away by this one. This was an absolute surprise. A great rhythmic score matches up with the fast-paced editing at times, but then it's also patient with the long takes when it needs to be, when the time is right. Again, this is one of those movies that slowly evolves over time from like, it starts out as like this farcical comedy. It's just absolutely ridiculous. And the chaos like that you mentioned. And at the, at the beginning, that chaos is kind of humorous. But then slowly over time, that chaos turns into like depravity. And you don't really notice the crossing of the threshold until it's a bit too late. Mm, mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a, a real uh, frog in hot water situation, if you will. And I mean, just the filmmaking overall, I mean, the handling of 
the entire cast and everyone in this jungle and in these fields and stuff. I mean, it's something else. My number four is Bill and Ted Face the Music. This was a this is directed by Dean Parasot. This this was kind of a surprise for me. I didn't really expect this to be a movie that landed on my top ten. I didn't even I honestly didn't really have very high expectations for this to begin with. Uh, the fact that this is like what like twenty plus years after what like thirty years? Uh, when was the last Bill and Ted movie? <laughs> I don't even know, but. It's been decades since the last one, and I was just like, eh, I don't know how they're going to really do this now since, you know, the characters are older. How's this going to really play out? And I got to say that I was just completely floored at how much I loved this movie. It's just, it's one of these movies that just brings pure joy and positivity. And I, again, this is a movie that I think came out at just the right time. They were smart to release it both in theaters and on streaming. I think that it was a risky move uh, and I think that it was a smart one for, to allow people to enjoy this in their homes without having to risk their safety. And uh, so that, that got bonus points for me as well. And um, highly recommend it. Bill and Ted face the music. All right. Ken, what's your number three? My number three is Lover's Rock, a film in the Small Axe anthology by Steve McQueen, uh, available uh, on Amazon Prime or if you're in the UK on BBC iPlayer. Uh, This is another movie that I was kind of hinting at earlier when I talked about the uh, debate in quotation marks over how to categorize this particular anthology of whether people thought it should be considered, you know, as a five uh installment miniseries on tv whether you should consider it zero one or five movies this is a very reductive debate these i i'm mentioning this one because i liked it and i haven't seen all of the other ones um yeah it's just a wonderful achievement in filmmaking it's um it's uh it's joyous it's complex it's just gorgeous there's just so many moments that just stay with you and uh yeah it's um it's great i haven't seen any of them i my i i intended to but i just haven't and and i think that we've talked about this before where i just i think the fact that it's five movies it overwhelmed me and so i didn't end up seeing any of them which i know is 70 minutes i know it's just awful but the thing for me is a i didn't realize that they were on amazon prime for the longest time (laughs) <laughs> like people kept mentioning them and I'm like, oh wow, I can't wait until they come out. Because no one ever mentioned the fact that they were Amazon Prime movies. They're just like, oh, small acts, small acts. And I'm like, okay, this must be like a, a film festival thing or something going on here. <laughs> and then I finally found out that they were on Amazon Prime. And I'm thinking, well, I should definitely cram these in before the end of the year. But then I also thought that it like it's Steve McQueen. Like plenty of people are talking about the these movies. I mean, pretty much every single person that I've come across talking about the movie has loved them. So I'm just like, I don't think it's like the small axe film series does not need Kevin Rakestraw to, you know, to come out and join the rah rah parade. I can catch up with them later. Yeah. But I'm looking forward to it now that I know that they're on Amazon Prime and they're right there for me, mm-hmm. which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. 
I still, yeah, I still plan on catching them. I just haven't got there yet. Yeah, yeah. the The first one, um, the the first entry that you'll see is uh, Mangrove, which is over two hours. But I believe all of the other ones are m- much shorter. If you're, we're thinking about that. All right, Kevin, what's your number three? Oh, hey, uh, an Amazon Prime documentary, right on there. Garrett Bradley's time which is just another phenomenal piece of work from Garrett Bradley, uh, which just chronicles Fox Rich uh, fighting for the release of her husband, Rob, from prison. And he is in the midst of serving a 60-year prison sentence for armed robbery, which is insane. Uh, But again, with it being Garrett Bradley, the, the black and white cinematography, the editing, the score, the framing angles... Like the way that she compiles all these things and couples them together, I think she just, it's like the perfect assemblage that she always comes up with. And I don't know how she does it, but she does. And this is another one, much like America, which I think was last year was in my top five. Uh, So she's in my top five again. And that's time on Amazon Prime. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta see this. This was one that I was really mad that I didn't get a chance to see before the. It's end of the so year. good. Um, my number three is "Promising Young Woman" from Emerald Fennell. This is unfortunately one of these ones that it came out in theaters on Christmas Day. It is not available on VOD yet. I think that it comes out next month. I want to say it's a. I know that it's a pretty quick turnaround, but the thing, the weird thing is they're not really advertising that like they're really only pushing the, the theatrical release. But if you can wait a little bit, it is going to get a pretty quick turnaround to VOD. Uh, I pretty much loved everything about this movie. The, the color palette, the casting, the uh, script. I love a good revenge story. And this, this has a really great revenge story in it. It goes to some places that I did not expect, especially in the final act. And, uh, uh, Carrie Mulligan was great. And all of the, the supporting douchebag guys were (laughs) just expertly cast as well too. And, uh, yeah, I just, I loved every moment of this movie. I thought it was just phenomenal. I love the color in this movie too. Lots of color. I also just want to uh, add, I agree with all that, and I, I also really like this movie too. Didn't quite make my list. also want to say, great choices of music in it as well. Oh yeah, big time. From literally the very first thing you hear in the movie. Yeah. Just really good, precise music choices. Yep, so keep, keep that one on your radar, Promising Young Woman. Alright, here we go, number two. Ken, what do you got? Oh. My number two is Martin Eden by uh, Pietro Marcello. It's an adaptation of sorts of the Jack London novel, and it's just a really brilliant, unsettling, perceptive, just wonderfully, wonderfully smart and ambitious movie. There's just something really great about it, about how it's like set in this purposefully indistinct time period where you'll have just all, it seems to be set all throughout the 20th century. Uh, at once, like every single piece of like clothing or furniture or technology seems to be taken from like one lot from like different radically different time periods, which I think kind of feeds into this idea of a character who is uh, trying to form a 
is trying to form a name for himself but doesn't exactly know how to do that and in that quest to do that goes to some rather stark and at times possibly quite unsettling places with a wonderful lead performance in that role from Luca Marinelli. Uh, that's my number two, uh, Martin Eden. Kevin, what's your number two? Uh, my number two played on movie and that's the Grand Bazaar from Jody Mack. This is in a lot of ways, a culmination of all of Mack's work in the short film arena, uh, especially all for like fabric short films, which are, if you're not familiar with the work, it was just a lot of times it was just shuffling stop motion animation of different fabric patterns. Pretty simple. But here she's expanded it out into a full length. It's now coupled with a, a very upbeat mood enhancing score. You still have the fabrics, but there's fabrics in various locations draped over various things. Like it's traveling the world. And the thing that is extremely interesting to me in the way that she expanded this is that it kind of becomes this like pseudo documentary of the the process of fabric production and the way in which it ships uh, like all around the world and the countries that it comes from, the countries that it goes to. But the fabric is always like the the star of the show. Just traveling the world. All right. Nothing quite like it. I, yeah, I remember you talking about this on the show in the past. Just absolutely lovely. Check it out on Mubi. Mm-hmm. Another get another streaming service. My number, <laughs> my number two is uh, the Invisible Man by Lee Wanell. Talked about this on this was previously my number one, I think, for the mid year top ten. And uh, yeah, it just stayed up there. Just stayed up there at the top. I found it to be. Extremely tense, scary. I love the effects work. I love the Invisible Man mythos. Uh, it was my favorite of the Universal Monsters. And I thought that uh, 1L took that, you know, base story and brought it into, you put, put a really interesting spin on it and brought it into the modern era in a really clever way. So really impressed with the Invisible Man. All right, here we go. This is it. This is this is it. Number one. Here we go. Pretty excited, Ken. What do you got? Number one. So earlier when we meant this movie has has been previously mentioned in the list. I was kind of being a little bit cagey during our discussion because I didn't want to say it was higher up on my list because then I would have given away as we got from you know six to five to four to three to two. The my number one of the year is First Cow. Yes. Nice. First Cow. It's Kevin, what do you got? Number one, here we go. I just want to add that first cow, it's just like an extremely comfy sweater, like a Mm. cardigan, just like a nice warning cardigan. It just perfect description. Oh man, just gets you. It's like a warm buttermilk biscuit in a way. Yep, just a couple fellas frying up some treats. Mm hmm. Uh, my number one also came from Mubi, and that's talking about trees. It's the Sudanese documentary that's just a slice of life documentary that's very specifically about one thing, but in turn is about a lot of things. And essentially, the, the main concept of it is there's these four older Sudanese filmmakers that are trying to revive the cinematic experience in Sudan. 
So they're taking this um, really dilapidated cinema house and they're trying to revive it. They're cleaning the screen, trying to get chairs in. They're doing surveys around the village, trying to find out what people want to watch. They're doing these little shows off of their off of their PCs using Windows Media Player, showing Chaplin films, trying to, you know, drum up excitement and get some money together. And when they do these screenings, they actually have to hold up the screen. So there's two guys that just have their arms stretched out, trying to hold down like a flat piece of white screen. Um, but it also becomes about like the history of the Sudanese film industry, how it had this, it was on a trajectory to be like this very rich history, but then because of political reasons, it got shut down. The hardships that they face in terms of political pushback of trying to revive the cinema house. And it's also just a really great movie about uh, male friendship and how these guys take care of each other and how invested they are into the idea of cinema in Sudan. I remember when you talked about this on the show before, and it just sounded like it was really See, incredible. I mean, the one filmmaker is, he is such a funny guy that like, they like kind of get this cinema house like revived and he takes a camel on the tour. Like he's just showing the camel around. And he's talking to the camel and it's just really, really sweet. Hmm. There you go. Talk to trees. Is this still on movie? Is it like something you can still watch on there? I don't think so. Yeah, I think I, that's, that's the thing that movie, kind of bums me out about movie is like stuff comes up on there and it's there for like a couple of weeks and then it goes. But the thing is, is that some things stay, yeah, and others don't. And then a movie like this or The Grand Bazaar, it might come back like four months later and get like because it's like a repertory online theater type deal, so mm-hmm. it might. You know, four months from my show and run for another month and then be gone. Yeah. Eh, I don't know. All right. My number one. Uh, this is a very late comer. I just saw this yesterday. So. Oh, Wonder Woman. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Wonder Woman 84. <laughs> easy, easy. Uh, no, it's uh, it's Minari directed by Lee Isaac Chung. Oh, uh, this, Where can you see this? Uh, I got a screener for it. Son of a bitch. Yeah, it's it's uh, <laughs> it's, it's not out yet, unfortunately. Well, actually, I don't. Is it playing in theaters right now? I don't. I, I think it's doing that like qualifying yeah, run thing. I yeah. I well, the thing they I haven't seen it yet. Sent us. It's like it made it sound like in the email in the group that you and I are in is like it sounded like they were like tying it to a Q&A or something and it's like I don't I, I, I'm gonna try but I might have to like uh, give out and ask for a link to send later just the cause. the Q&A is separate so it's a pre uh-huh. it's a pre-recorded Q&A and uh-huh. it's it comes as a separate link okay um, it uses the same platform that the Nightstream Film Festival used earlier this year it's called like an eventive or something like that. And so like you, it's at a specific time, but they release it early. So like, for instance, um, the, my screening was supposed to be at 7 PM last night, but I want, they allowed me to watch it at like, I don't know, one or something, or it might, might even been available a day before. 
So you can watch it. They give you a pretty wide window to watch it. But anyway, people won't care about this inside baseball nonsense. Uh, Minari is an incredibly touching story about a, a Korean family who moved to Arkansas in the 80s and decide to build a farm there and sort of the, the trials and tribulations that are connected with that. Um, it's just sort of a, a beautiful, positive film in a lot of ways. Uh, it's based on the, the life of the director and uh, it, it has some really incredible performances in there as well. There's a little bit of controversy going surrounding this film as well because of the Golden Globes and how mm -hmm. it's being nominated for Best Foreign Language Film but not eligible for Best Film or whatever, Best Picture, because <laughs> they, for, they, they, there's some they reason. They tend to do that, don't they? I don't understand, which makes no sense. I mean, it's an American film. It's got a largely American cast. It takes place in America, and yet because the movie is like over half of the movie is in Korean, it's not eligible to be a best fan. Like it's ridiculous that, to me. My, my advice to all everybody, we, you know, is a valiant effort to try and figure this out, but kind of the inverse of what I said earlier, it was like, don't argue about eligibility or, you know, where something premiere just on your list. Just talk about the things that you really want to share. The inverse of that is don't try and parse the decisions of the Golden Globes people because they will never make sense. Yeah, it's just, it's so bizarre. But I, I also kind of thought that the way that the Golden Globes worked was that the, like, the distributor or the rights holder or whoever of the movie actually submitted for the specific categories. I think they can do that, but also the organization has the right to just decide that they're wrong. Okay, well... Uh, either either way, it's, it's complete bullshit, and uh, they need to fix that because it's it's. This is it's the group ridiculous. whose two best pictures of 2018 were, I think, Green Book and Bohemian Rhapsody. So, yeah, guess that guess that shows shows us all what kind of people we're dealing with. Uh, at any rate, Minari is absolutely worth seeing as soon as you are able to, whenever that may be, because it is incredible. Yes. And I think that's going to do it for this year. Uh, w certainly a bizarre year for movies. Uh, everybody's lists are kind of different. And I, I think that that's a good thing in a lot of ways. But also at the same time, I think there were a lot of great movies that just didn't come out this year or were held back or got you know stuck in production. I think the, the main thing that I like about this year even though I kind of failed at it because I just kind of got overwhelmed and I really didn't have the mental capacity for films this year. But it, the way in which the the theatrical release did not dominate this year is what you end up getting is everyone kind of left to their own devices in terms of seeking out films from 2020 and seeing what people prioritized on their own and what they did on their own without just, you know, having this schedule, you know, the set schedule of what's coming to the theaters every weekend was really interesting. I agree. I think that there'll be a lot of interesting case studies that could be gleaned from this year, as far as how 
everything was a either like a virtual theatrical release or going to Netflix or HBO Max or one of these other s- services and everybody's watching everything at home even the big releases like you know like Mulan came out on Disney Plus and Wonder Woman 84 came out on HBO Max and then the whole conversation surrounding Wonder Woman 84 and how people are are theorizing that because it came out to people's homes on a streaming platform that the general movie going audience was uh, more critical of it because they didn't pay to go see it in a big theater environment and how that could impact things. I mean, obviously with wonder woman it was just today they announced that they're fast tracking part three. So it didn't affect it too mm-hmm. much, <laughs> but I, I think that there's a lot of really fascinating conversations that can be had because of how movies were released this year. And I'll be very, yeah. cu- very curious to see like, what what it means for the future you know like after after this is all over everybody's vaccinated hopefully and movies movie theaters are opening back up like is is it everything going to go back to the way it was or are distributors going to realize that you know releasing their movies digitally is a viable solution like i'm just really really anxious to see how this impacts the industry as a whole for the future I think that's what's really demoralizing is that you're right. There's so many interesting conversation points, you know, jump offs that you could have. And once again, the overarching, you know, cinematic discussion that's happening is, is this TV or is it a movie? And it's just, (laughs) you know, the same shit all the time. Well, I don't want to dwell on it, but the small acts thing, they're movies, period. I mean, when they were releasing it, when they were advertising those, it says five movies by Steve McQueen. So they're calling it movies. I'm calling them movies. Like that's, that's the end of the conversation for me about that. But I, I understand where you're coming from, Kevin. Like, does this count? Does this, is this, uh, it's just everything is so murky now as far as like releases and like what counts and what doesn't count and all of this stuff. We also had a similar discussion about this in last year's episode. So, yeah, it's just unfortunate that, that like the discussion always gets stopped at the door essentially yeah. every year where it's the same like really minute detail where it's like, who fuck, can we talk about something far more interesting? Just, just anything, just, really. Just yeah. the degree to which yeah. so many people's perception of this is that they're only thinking of these, you know, these works, these movies, that, as just commodities that they have to put in a specific category. It's just that it's like you know, how do I think about this in this context? It's it's not just like what are the merits of the work. It's firstly, uh, what what category do I put it in so I can put that set of expectations on it? Well, I think yeah. I think that this year is going to help with that conversation in legitimizing digital distribution, because I think that one of the hangups for a lot of people was that for whatever reason, a movie that's released on on a streaming service is, was, is less than a movie that's released in a theater. And, and these movies were being sort of delegitimized because of how they were released. And I think that, you know, what Warner brothers is doing, with HBO Max and the other big releases that are coming out on streaming, I think that hopefully that will help quell some of these conversations about like, does this count as a movie or whatever? Like, 
I'm hoping that yeah. by next year, the by next year's episode, we're not having the same conversation. That's my that's my hope. Mm-hmm. I don't no, know. If, I, mean, I don't know. If we, it, I, yeah, I don't know if we'll be there yet. But it's a nice no, thought. I, I mean, I hope so too. Is the next year is David Lynch releasing that Netflix thing next year, or is that the year after? Because oh, as soon as that yeah. comes out, it's it's all. Fucking, that's right. It's going to be another Twin Peaks thing. It's all crashing <laughs> down. Uh, you know what? If you want it on your list, just put it on your damn list. Quit being a loser. Well, that's yeah, the thing that I, irritates yeah. me. Like with Twin Peaks, it's no one discussed Twin Peaks. It was just is Twin Peaks TV or movie, and it's like. There's such a, a, you know, so much depth to that show, movie, whatever the hell you want to call it. There's so many things that you could discuss. And that was, people couldn't get past that initial point. Which also, I have to say, I thought was a stupid debate as well, because it was clearly a TV show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, but also, it, none of it matters. Exactly. None, none of it matters. matters. Yeah. None of it matters, but it's a TV show. Come on. Let's an, it's like there's an answer here, but I don't care. <laughs> uh, I, I, yeah, no, I remember like last year when they were putting out the best of the decade list and uh, Kahe just sent him up with Twin Peaks on it on their best film of the decade list. And I, I, I think I did bring that up. It was like there was, uh, I think, Homecoming, the Beyonce um, concert film. I was thinking about, is, should I technically have this on my list because of theatrical, blah, blah, blah. And then I saw the Kahe do cinema thing with Twin Peaks and it's like, yeah, I'm putting this on the list. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a streaming title. And I can't believe last year I was literally going, should I put this title that streamed only on Netflix on my best movies of the year list? I can't <laughs> believe I was legitimately having that debate with myself last year. Yeah, I, I think we're we're heading towards some really interesting times. I mean, I think I think twenty twenty one could potentially be a, a worse year for cinema, be just because of the pandemic yeah. catching up, mm-hmm. and the fact that there were so few, you know, so many productions got put on hold because of the pandemic and and all of that. I think that it could mean that twenty twenty one is going to be an even. <laughs> rougher but, year for cinema but on, who knows on the flip side of that is what else are in the vaults that we're getting what's the grizzly bear movie with charlie sheen oh yeah <laughs> like what else do we have do we have a jaws 7 with george clooney who that, knows that's what do that's we have true. that's a that's a good point we could be what's, yeah there's a new movie <laughs> directed by and i think starring george clooney on netflix right yeah. now yeah it's out now just a, just a heads up, I watched that last night and don't, and? don't do it. I, uh, yeah, I <laughs> got, watch it. I got, a, I got a screener for it and I just never, I just never watched it. <laughs> Does anybody have any closing thoughts on the year before we wrap it up? It's so hard to figure out because usually this is the time where I do try and figure out what, what would be my takeaways from the year. And it's just, I have so many competing observations that I don't know where to start. And so weirdly, I think any summary I personally try to come up with here in movies would be shorter than it would be for 2019 or 2018. Um, it's just, yeah, I, I completely agree with what you said. I we're, We don't know where this is going. It's going to be both really interesting to see where it goes with a lot of potential. And it's also probably going to be really dismaying to see some of the places that this goes. I'm kind, I'm still, you know, uh, I certainly hope we're able to have a place soon where we can safely start going back to theaters. I know that just seems like such a 
thing that people say, but still, God, I miss I know. theaters. I miss it. I miss it so much. <laughs> yeah, I hope there'll be a time when we can safely go back to theaters and that theaters will still be there and that distributors will still find some importance in theaters, but I hope so. All right. Uh, I think that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. You can send us your questions and topics to podcast at filmpulse.net. You can follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net, at filmpulsekevin, and at kbake underscore 99. And please, if you have a minute, consider reviewing us on your podcast platform of choice. For Kevin Rakestraw and Ken Bakley, my name's Adam Patterson. We'll see you next week.